0: Welcome to the South Fellowship podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Your smiling faces. Uh, if you're tuning in online, we can't see your smiling faces, but we trust that God can. And that uh, he's meeting you where you are. Thanks for worshiping. With us this morning If you're new or newish My name is Aaron Bjorklund I am one of the pastors here at South Normally I'm up here leading our time of singing But today I have the opportunity To bring the message But first I just want to thank the team Chris and Jake and the band For leading us in singing And I want to thank you church For singing so well So I first embraced faith in Jesus When I was about 7 years old but my faith really became my own in late high school and early college. I, in my senior year of high school, I started leading worship for the first time. And I, I started to have my heart swell and be with the things of God and, and that sort of thing. And then I went on this college visit, visit trip in high school to Calvary Chapel Bible College. This is the chapel there. And one of the evenings during that visit, uh, I got the opportunity to go to their evening chapel. And the band was up there and they were leading these songs and that sort of thing. And uh, it's something I'd experienced many, many times. And they sang a song that I'd sung many times. But this particular evening, they sang this song and it moved me in a unique way. He knows my name, He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. And they sang that anthem over me. And it was like the realization that the God of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, knew little old me by name. And it just blew me away. And not only did he know me, he knew my every thought. And still, for some crazy reason, he decided that he wanted relationship with me. And I was so swept up by the beauty and the goodness of that truth, that in that service, I said, Jesus, take it all. My whole life is yours. Whatever you wanna do with me, I'm all yours. I'm all in. And that's where I felt called to ministry. I ended up going to that Bible college for a year before transferring to Moody Bible Institute. And I was so on fire for Jesus during that year of Bible college, I couldn't get enough of God's word. And I just wanted to study and grow and get to know this great God who had saved me. And this is a horrible picture, but this is the cafeteria at Calvary Chapel Bible College, Marietta. And I had to actually freeze frame a video tour because I couldn't find Evidently, it's not pretty enough to show in any of the tours or any of the photos. But... <laughs> Uh, Behind this stairwell, behind this pane of glass, there was a round table in the cafeteria and I would just set up shop every day there. I would bring all my books, all of my my laptop, my guitar, and I would just set up shop there and from 6 a.m. till about 10 or 11 p.m. at night, I would live at this table. I would only leave to eat or to go to class. And on Monday and Tuesday, I would do all my homework, For the whole week. And then the rest of the week, I would just study things that had interested me throughout the rest. And I was so on fire. I just wanted to know Jesus. And I couldn't imagine ever feeling differently. I thought that this was gonna be my spiritual formation pathway. And I was going to finish by the end of the semester. <laughs> I was going to be fully mature as a follower of Jesus by the end of the semester. I didn't actually think that. But I couldn't imagine not giving all of myself fully to God. But this has been a little bit more what the journey has looked like for me since those years. And sometimes it's been hard. And sometimes I've plateaued sometimes i've feel like i've gone down in my maturity and maybe you can resonate maybe you experienced god's grace in your life and you were so on fire and moved by what he did for you that you just couldn't you you're like i'm that sin that's in my life i'm just stopping tomorrow never again am i going to experience that <laughs> that's not how formation works is it I kind of wish it was. I used to work out with Rodney Pennington, uh, lift weights, and he would constantly be changing our regiment. And we would do like super heavy weight, low repetition for a few weeks, and then he would switch and we'd do super lightweight, really high repetition. And it was designed to make sure that when we plateau, it would, it would sort of shock your body and allow you to continue to get gains. And spiritual formation kind of works the same way. Growing and living in the way of Jesus kind of works the same way, and that's why we've been in the series entitled "Everyday Spirituality." Each week, Alex has been making this assertion: the greatest gift you can give to those around you is the person that Jesus is transforming you into. And I'm not going to defend that assertion today. You can go back and listen to the rest of the series, but this is the assertion that he's been making. and Another way of saying it is this Dallas Willard quote, which is kind of where Alex got his statement from. It says, at the end of the present life, what is of significance is the kind of person one has become. And so we all want to become a gift to the people around you. What he's essentially saying, what Willard is saying, is that the most valuable thing you have to offer your family, the most valuable thing you have to offer your workplace, the most valuable thing you have to offer this church community your friends, your kids, your grandkids, is who you are becoming. That's a big deal. And that's why we've been in this series, but then he's Alex has been asking this question, well then, how do we take next steps on our journey when life gets busy? Because sometimes life gets in the way of formation. Amen? <laughs> okay, good, it's not just me. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase it for today how can we break through the plateaus in our journey with Jesus and the answer throughout this series has been we're going to implement some spiritual practices some theologians refer to it as spiritual disciplines spiritual disciplines so just by way of review if you don't know what a spiritual practice or spiritual discipline is I'm going to give you a really helpful definition here Dallas Willard says now a discipline is an activity in our power which we pursue in order to become able to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Now, if I just read that once to you and you fully downloaded all of what that meant, well done, because I certainly could. <laughs> the first time I read that quote, I was like, huh, okay, what? I had to read it three or four times to fully consume it. So I'm gonna put in my own words a little bit. Maybe, maybe this helps. Some, spiritual practice is something that you can do that enables you to do something that you cannot do by just trying harder. There's things like that in our life, isn't there? There's certain things that we say, "I'm just never going to do that again," or "I'm going to start doing this again." And then a few weeks later, you notice you're still doing that thing, or you're not doing the thing you were going to say you were going to do. Anyone else? So spiritual practices enable you to actually transform to the place where you are actually doing those things that you intended to do. One example, is: let's say you struggle with road rage. So, uh, and you, you hear a sermon, you're convicted about it, your anger, and you wake up the next day and you're saying, I'm just not going to do it anymore. <laughs> That's not how that works, right? But what you can do is you can implement a spiritual discipline in your life consistently enough and long enough that you actually become the kind of human being that doesn't naturally get angry when you're cut off. On the highway. That's what we're talking about in this series, and it's a big deal. And maybe if you're like me, you hope that there's a spiritual discipline that can help break some of the plateaus in your spiritual journey with Jesus. So we're gonna dive in and we're gonna hear from a guy named Paul to a church in Colossae. If you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible you can open an app Or I'm going to have all these passages on the screen as well No worries there But uh, we're going to explore this text Sorry I've got to move my hair um, So this church uh, of Colossians Written by Paul Before we dive into that let me just pray Jesus Would you transform us Would you make us into the kind of community That looks like you Would you make us into the kind of community that stands as a beacon of light and hope to the world around us? Will we be known for kindness and generosity and goodness and beauty? But today, Lord, help us to learn how to get there. Spirit, teach us, we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this little church in, in called Colossians now the Apostle Paul if you don't know who this guy is I don't want to make any assumptions Apostle Paul was a first century theologian and philosopher and some modern historians secular modern historians have actually made statements like the Apostle Paul has influenced Western society more than any other human being in the face of the earth Paul spoke about the person of Christ and painted pictures for a fledgling church as they were just starting to figure out what it meant to be the church. And he trained them and it changed Western civilization. So that's who we're talking to. And he's got some advice to this little church. And so he writes to this pretty obscure little church because he hears from a friend. He didn't plant this church, he hears from a friend, Epaphras, uh, that they've got a few struggles. And that they're trying to mix some of their old spirituality with their new spirituality. This was a very diverse church that had Gentiles and Jews. So, a lot of some of the Gentiles, scholars believe that maybe what Paul is trying to correct from them is they were trying to just mix the gospel in with all of the worship of the other gods that they already worshiped. It was just adding. Another God to their list, and so he challenges them on that and he teaches against that and then and then the Jews were still were just they were retaining some of the law they wanted to still be really really devout Jews and they were maybe not fully taking advantage of the gospel which says salvation comes by grace through faith alone and so he's challenging them this in this and then in chapter three, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, he sort of pivots and he says, all right I've corrected these errors and now let me just let me just pick Paint a picture for you of what it might look like to be a different kind of humanity, a new kind of community, a community that the world has never seen. And I want to paint a picture for you so you can get excited about where God is taking you if you lean in to my teaching. And that's where we pick up this text. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I guess I told you it was going to be on the screen, so I better put it on the screen. All right. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together it sounds so good right it sounds so beautiful imagine a community that actually lived into this full of kindness full of humility full of uh, reconciliation it's a beautiful picture and then marked by love all we need is love right but some of this list kind of sounds like some of those things that we just can't do by direct effort. Let's just be a community full of kindness. Let's start tomorrow. And so maybe, just maybe, he's gonna offer them something and it sounds really good. The question is how? Well, I'm glad you asked because he goes on and he tells us a little bit of how do we get to that beautiful, majestic destination and we read on, verse 15. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful, and listen, 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 listen. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you catch it? He's saying the spiritual practice that that I want you to do to get to this beautiful, majestic destination of being a new kind of community is I would like you to teach and admonish each other with singing. This is a singing sermon. This is a singing kind of preaching, a singing kind of admonishing. This is a psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs kind of teaching. So today, we're talking about corporate singing, corporate worship. What you guys were just doing in here, singing together. Alright, so when Alex first asked me to teach this particular spiritual discipline in this series, obviously I was really excited because I've thought a few thoughts about the subject matter. I've been doing, I've been the pastor here at South leading our singing time for almost 11 years now. And I've been leading worship since I was a senior in high school. And so needless to say, I've thought a few things about the subject matter, and so I was really excited, and oh, it's going to be great, I've got so many things to say, and then I started preparing the message, and I realized, oh no, I have so many things to say. How do you take 11 years of your life, and vocation, and dreams, and heartbeat, and encapsulate it into a single message, and so um, instead I sort of wrestled with that for a little while, and instead of preaching a seven-hour sermon, I confess I went a little over last last service, but I'll try not to do that this service, but instead of preaching a seven-hour sermon about everything I want to say about the subject, I had to say, Jesus, what do you want to say to this church? And I had to pick a text and let that text say what it's going to say and then cut me off after that. So that's what we're going to do today, but I do think some of the things I did want to say are beneficial to some of you. Because you may have had questions about some of the things. Why do we do certain things the way we do it? And so the way I've decided to expand my sermon is by commandeering our midweek podcast. So this Thursday I'm going to be recording our typical midweek podcast that Alex and I always record together called Guys Drinking Tea. Um, You can get it on Spotify, you can get it on iTunes, whatever podcast service that you normally Go to. You can also find it on YouTube or on Facebook where we live stream. And in that podcast this week, I'm going to hopefully sort of just download a whole bunch of thoughts that I have about how we do the singing here at South. So if this is interesting to you, check it out. I'm going to talk about the philosophy of worship at South. I'm going to talk about volume levels and why we have them where we have them here at South. I'm going to talk about old songs versus new songs. I'm going to talk about lighting and stage design and why do we care or maybe not care as much as some other places. Quality versus authenticity. Repetitive songs versus theological-dense songs. I'm going to try and download a bunch of these songs or a bunch of these things in this podcast. And if you still have questions after that, I encourage you to reach out to me. I love talking about this stuff and I'd love to catch you up to speed on why we've intentionally decided to do certain things the way we do them here but so that the sermon doesn't go seven hours and that's all i'm going to talk about that for now now we know that music is a powerful thing in fact music colors many of your experiences this is true even if you don't consider yourself a musical kind of person maybe you don't go out of your way to listen to music, I'm sure some of you do, lots of you do, music is like this universal language that shows up in every single culture, and most people have had at least some experience in their life where they're removed by some piece of music, music is a powerful, powerful thing, Um, but even if you say that I'm not really a music kind of a person, music shapes your world, it shapes the movies that you watch, Did you know that you are an appreciator of Rachmaninoff or Beethoven because of movies, because of commercials? Your world has been shaped, and music has this ability to move the heart and affections in this way or that, and that's why it's a powerful tool. So you heard this little voice crying just a moment ago. I'm going to talk about her for just a second. Um... Just shy of four weeks ago, we had our third daughter, and she just walked out of the room. Uh, That was Clara Beth. Thank you, Clara, for making your voice known. Um, It didn't take very long for us to realize that she had an appreciation for good music, and I'm so proud of her. She has very good taste in music. Um, Allison... Uh, during the first few weeks, she was pretty fussy because we're still trying to figure out her schedule and it, Does she cry when she's you know any diaper or eat and all this stuff? And we're just trying to figure all that out like you do with a new baby And so she was pretty fussy and my wife said, you know, I discovered that she really likes The Beatles and so I thought I would try it out. So she she uh, was crying right before this Do you like that song? Well done, Clara Beth. You've got great taste in music. Music is a powerful thing, right? And I encourage many of you, and many of you already use music in your personal spiritual lives. Maybe you listen to worship, and that's part of your spiritual journey and that sort of thing. And yes, music is powerful. And yes, it has the ability to soothe little babies. But today, I want to focus specifically on singing together, corporate singing The gathering of God's people and the singing that we do when we gather. Because Paul, in this letter, as we've read already so far, he seems to think that there is a way of singing that is transformative for a community. This is part of what I think Paul is trying to argue for. He thinks that there is a kind of singing, a way of singing that is transformative for a community Take a look. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So there is a richness that you can access through corporate singing. Now this word, this connection, there's actually connection in the Greek between teaching and richness and singing. He's making the argument that there is a richness that comes through singing that doesn't come when there isn't singing. And so the first thing we learn from this little letter to the Colossian church is that we have to remember that when we sing, we preach. Did you know you preached this morning? You may not have known that you were preaching. You may not have cognitively or consciously thought, I'm preaching a sermon right now but you preached when we raise our voices together in a corporate setting are we preach and it's a different kind of sermon than the one you're hearing right now most sermons classically you think of they're very left brain activities analysis logic ideas facts math this is what the left brain controls but when we sing we actually fire both sides of the brain and for some people, uh, studies have shown that some people tend to live the majority of their lives in one side or the other side. I tend to live in the much more cognitive side, believe it or not. I live in my brain. I think through things. I analyze things. That's my preferred mode of being. But when we sing together, we actually begin to incorporate our le- uh, the other side of our brain. Because the ideas and the truths and the words that we're saying, that's left brain. And then the music and the poetry and the crescendo of the song is right brain. And so the truths that we are singing when we're preaching song sermons get deeper into our very physiology. Did you know that? Did you know that? N.T. Wright said it this way, to use the human body as a musical instrument, in other words, singing, is physically, emotionally, and mentally transformative in a way that nothing else, else is. Wow, that's a pretty profound statement for a New Testament theologian. He seems to think that this is a profound and powerful tool because we're using a larger percentage of ourselves. By the way, as a side note, that's one of the reasons spiritual practices work. That's one of the reasons spiritual practices and disciplines have access to transforming you in ways that other activities like your will, I'm just not going to do this anymore, don't have access to. It's because you're using more of your body, your mind, your soul, you're using more of your human self to transform your life than just your will. And so when we sing, we preach full body sermons. I think Paul knows this. The reason I think that, if you look in the next verse, right after what we just read, he says this, and whatever you do in word, maybe that's a little bit of left brain, or indeed right brain, that's the physical action, and in this case, in this context of this passage, our singing do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So One of the things, uh, this reality that our whole bodies are part of this process has probably been the thing that unlocked corporate singing for me the most. It may come as a surprise to you, but singing and music is not my favorite mode of worship. I'm a worship pastor, and I almost never use music in my private devotional life. I almost never listen to music. Um... It just takes over my brain. I can't do anything but listen to the music. So I just don't do it. I got to get some stuff done. So I listen to music and I sing and I participate in music in preparation to lead you in singing and on Sunday mornings. And other than that, you can even ask my family. Sometimes we'll be driving around the car and I just, can we just turn off the music, please? It just takes over my brain. And so as a result, I don't use music that much in my own life. Um, And I've had to learn some skills to take this medium and you kind of got to do that when you're a worship pastor you got to figure out how to get this to access your soul I've had to actually learn some skills to use this medium in my own personal spiritual journey and one of the things that I've learned is this I need to sing and not just sing sing hard (laughs) So I learned this at Mission Hills. Before coming on staff here, well, we, my wife and I were members at Mission Hills Church, great church just down the street. And um, we were volunteers. And during this particular season of my life, I wasn't leading worship anywhere. And I had this challenge in my soul that I was wrestling with God about, and it was this. I couldn't worship unless I was leading worship. I was like, God, How arrogant. And prideful is that? How is it that I cannot actually feel the presence of God unless I'm standing on a stage with a microphone and lights on me amplified? What's up? How arrogant? Is it even real worship then? Is it. Is maybe I'm actually feeling other things. Maybe I'm feeling the pride of being the guy on stage, and so I was wrestling with this, right? And I just I couldn't do it when I was in the congregation. I just couldn't worship. And Mission Hills had just moved from their old facility to their big new facility that you know of now, probably. And this particular Sunday, I learned something about how I need to worship, and and it's that I need to sing hard. So what I learned is this you may not have noticed this but I have a rather loud voice anyone, no, anyone Do I have a? okay so I have a loud voice I'm glad you noticed um, and so when I was in the congregation I would sing pretty softly and you know I didn't want to be that guy you know that guy in the row that's like 25 decibels louder than everyone else. La la la. And I just didn't want to like stand out in the crowd. And so I would sing softly. Well, this particular Sunday, it was a service like this. This is a, a photograph of the stage at Mission Hills. And they just gotten their new sound system and all this stuff. And if I'm honest, this particular Sunday was a little bit louder than I would like. It was probably a little bit too loud. But that gave me the freedom to raise my voice and sing harder. And there was a song that I really liked and at the chorus there was this crescendo declaring some truth about the resurrection of Jesus and so I actually opened up my voice. The voice that... I can't preach here without ever crying. What's up with that? The voice that God had given me and I actually reached for that note and suddenly the feeling of the muscles in my vocal cords... Literally, the feeling of my body connected the truth of my brain and what I was saying about God with my affections. And boom, I was worshiping and I was experiencing the presence of God and I wasn't, I wasn't the one leading. And I learned that day that I just gotta sing hard because my body is the pathway between my mind and my affections. And maybe... Maybe I'll say it even more strongly. It's probably true for you too. There's this journal uh, for Humanities and the Society of Science, and they published this article where they took 11 different studies on corporate singing, and uh, they titled this, Group Singing as a Resource for the Development of a Healthy Public, a Study of Adult Group Singing. It's a fascinating study. Maybe it sounds really boring to you, but I read the whole thing. It's super duper interesting. And there's all sorts of interesting things that take place. And this is a secular study. This is, yes, they, re- they studied a few religious groups in their singing, but he, they're their agenda was to just figure out what in the world happens when a large crowd of people sing together and what they found is they, they could recommend it for mental health, mental wellness they're actually in this article recommending that there be more opportunities for societies to sing corporately because our brains are actually affected by corporate singing did you know that? choirs actually bond neurologically and have greater senses of unity because of singing in a choir. By the way, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for our choir in the weeks to come, and I encourage you to do that. But there's ways of of singing that actually bond a community together. You're affected by the people around you. Your singing is not just yours. It's ours. So... I actually think uh, this passage is a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about here, an opportunity that we have. So in, in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus is answering the question, what is the most important command? What is the greatest command? And this is his answer. You may have heard it in the past. He says, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind. and other passages, say, with all of your strength. There's, this shows up in multiple different ways. And then he says, this is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe that when we gather and we sing together as a church, it's probably the only place I can think of where we get to obey the entirety of this text in one event. Because we engage our affections, we engage our minds, and we don't just sing for ourselves, we sing for and to each other. So, corporate worship is a public obedience to the greatest command. Isn't that beautiful? Remember that when you sing, you preach. How was your sermon this morning? (laughs) All right, right off the bat. Maybe you have some objections, so I want to deal with a few objections. You might be sitting there, you're like, "Okay, go." Well, I hear you, Aaron. You don't understand. I cannot hold a tune at all, and you're challenging me to sing, but I, I just, I'm totally tone deaf. That's okay. Uh, that's not what this is about. Some of your singing is how you show up with your body language, how you show up with an intention how you focus in on the words, how you look around the room and engage the, the gathering of God's people, all this, that sort of thing. And maybe this will be a little bit of freedom to you. It's not about how in tune you are with the key of the song. It's about how in tune you are with the presence among his people. The way you sing will either amplify or weaken the, the praises Of others. The South has historically been a really great singing church. And I love that about you. It's one of the things I love. It it keeps me coming back. Let's put it like that. It keeps me coming back to lead you in singing because historically this church has been a great singing church. But I think we have some room to grow as a church family in our expressiveness, maybe in the engagement of our bodies and our emotions when we praise God together. So here's a few tips from a worship pastor that doesn't naturally use music <laughs> as worship. Uh, this is some things I've learned over the years. Try moving a little bit to the music. Like, there's a beat. There's a beat going on in the background, and maybe you can move a little bit to that music, and that actually has the ability to get your body engaged in the truth. And then you're engaging more of your brain, and the truth of the scripture, the truth of the gospel will dwell in you more richly if you move your body a little bit. And you might need to experiment with this. Um, I remember when I was really experimenting with this, actually Rodney Pennington noticed one Sunday. He's like, wow, Aaron, you were, You're really moving today. And I was like, yeah, I was, maybe it went a little too far, but you'll notice when I'm up here, I kind of get into the music, and I tap my feet, and I, that's Not me trying to put on a show for you. No, 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 no. I need that in order for me to convince my brain that this isn't just a cognitive exercise, but that God is worthy of all of me. All of me. All right. So I got to move through these a little bit quicker. Explore a few postures. Try setting uh, closer to others, maybe that'll help you. Or maybe you need to sit a little bit further away from other people or go to the back so you can really dance. Go for it. Look around the room and think about singing to those around you. If you're, I mean, if we're preaching a sermon to each other, maybe sometimes it's helpful to just, maybe a truth has really touched you and you, and you just want to look around the room a little bit and sing and say, Spirit, take this truth and let it seep into the, into the weary seep into the brokenhearted. Don't be afraid to surrender a little bit to the moment. I get it. It's a little bit scary. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm a little bit broken. But for some reason, I had this idea that if I let my emotions get away and take too much control, I was somehow losing control of my world around me. It was terrifying to maybe get a little bit too emotional in a given moment. And so I just really struggled to let myself be swept up by the music. But don't be afraid of that. God gave us this. I mean, we have an entire book in our scriptures dedicated to singing, dedicated to right brain expression of praise. So let yourself be swept up by the poetry. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, great American theologian, said it like this. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose. And do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. He Jonathan Edwards has probably spent more effort as a theologian on the subject of the emotional world of a follower of Jesus than anyone in this great work called The Religious Affections. And this is what he thinks God uses music for in corporate singing. A few more tips. If you don't understand some of the older lyrics, look them up. Um, For some of us, we're really familiar with the hymns. For some of you, you may not be as familiar with the hymns. If you're singing about Ebenezer's and you're like, why are we singing about the Christmas Carol and Ebenezer Scrooge? I don't understand what I'm saying right now. So I get it. Sometimes the worship leader will explain that for you. Great. If not, just look it up and know what you're saying. And that's some of the right or left brain side of you. But then let yourself be swept up by the music. and And that's the other side of your brain. Think about when you're singing to God or singing about God or when you're singing to others or when you're singing to yourself. We do all these things here at South. Some of the songs were directing them to God. Some of them were singing about him. Some of them were singing to each other. Some of them were singing to our own souls. It helps to just try and um, leverage uh, your intentionality when you're thinking about these sorts of things and then let your body posture sort of reflect some of that. Maybe you decide rather than singing um, a a line about to the church, rather than going like this and you're singing to the church, instead you, you sing like this you look around the room a little bit or something like that. Or when you're singing to your own soul, you do a posture like this. These are the kinds of things that might help. So another objection that you may have. Isn't it inauthentic to sing things that I don't feel or believe? Have you ever asked yourself this? Have you ever walked into this room and we're singing a song like glorious day God is a champion he wins every single time and you're like I don't know I'm not so sure he does he didn't win when my friend or my cousin committed suicide or did he win when when there was a this thing or that thing happened have you ever doubted the things that you were singing okay just me (laughs) It's a challenge. So how do we stay authentic? How do we not lie when we're singing corporately? Lie to others? And it's okay to have doubts. You know that, right? It's okay to have wrestlings in your soul. That's totally fine. But how do we not be inauthentic in that moment? This... I needed this because I wrestle with this a lot. So There are some Sundays when I stand up here and uh, I'm singing a happy song because there are people I know in this room, in a room this size, that just are erupting with joy and they need to sing a song of joy. But for me, all I have in me is a song of lament. So how do I do that and not lie to you and lie to my own soul. This passage was really, really helpful for me in this. In Romans chapter 7, Paul goes through this uh, crazy sort of dialogue about his own life. He says, sometimes I do the things I want to do, or I don't do the things I want to do, and I do do the things I don't want to do. And if you want to read it, it's kind of crazy. Lots of do, do, don't do things. But then he ultimately gets to this verse here. He says, but in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Does that sound familiar? There's this wrestling that's taking place. And so for me, when I'm not sure I believe what I'm saying, I say, Spirit, you're in me. And you can affirm the truth, whether I feel it or not. There is a part of who you are making me into that without any hesitation can affirm the truth about God's goodness, even if my mind and my emotions are saying, I'm not so sure. So this, is, this passage has given me freedom to lean into those moments and to sing with energy and joy in moments when I sort of feel like I'm not there in my mind or in my emotions. The inner being is inner being is. Before we continue, I just want to point out this this reality. Uh, There is there can be a pendulum swing for a community church uh, for some churches. Uh, uh, You can be on this really cognitive side where you're just very calculated and our singing is just strictly about the lyrics and about the poetry of those lyrics. And then you can swing all the way to the point where you're just it's just about the feels and the ooey gooeys and that sort of thing. And my suggestion to you is that Paul is trying to help us not swing in the pendulum, but to try and say, Jesus, would you invite us into doing both all the way as much as we can as a community? And there are churches that need to swing this way and there and by the way, I think we tend to live as a church family, not all of us, but Most of us tend to be a little bit more in this thinking kind of a space. One more idea that I'd like to point out. Oh my goodness, I am way over time. Wow, I'm going even longer than last time. So sacrificial, the the last note, um, because we need to sing a little bit more together. The last thing I'll I'll fly through here is, uh, Paul also makes the argument, sacrificial singing transforms us and unites us as a church. He says it here: "Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another." This is the context that we've been talking about singing. It's a, it's a context of forgiveness, a bearing with each other, put on love which binds them all together. When I read this, I thought, OK, Paul seems to think that singing as a church is unifying. Doesn't he know about worship wars? he probably just didn't know he's just wrong right because I can't think of almost anything in the church in the last hundred years that has caused more division than songs and singing in the church genre of music volume of music we need to sing more hymns we need to sing less hymns we did it on and on and on and it's caused so much division in the church maybe Paul was just naive and he didn't know about that I don't think so Look, he actually lists three different genres of music in this text. He says, I want you to sing psalms, I want you to sing hymns, and I want you to sing songs from the Spirit. And scholars believe that this is actually three different genres that the early church would sing. And if they're humans, like we are humans, my guess is that some of them liked one of the, ver- one of the genres better than the other. And his challenge is to sing them all. You get that? His challenge is to sing them all. This isn't the only passage of scripture that Paul exhorts a church to sing together. And this passage in Romans may give us some some insight into this and what he's up to. He says, This we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good. Not please ourselves, but instead we should please our neighbors for their good to build them up now that is stated in the context that he culminates so he's building an argument that he culminates with singing so check this out may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind of Christ towards a mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had in other words a mind that considered others so valuable that he would die for them that's the mind we're going to try and establish so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ another church he gives another exhortation Ephesians 5 speak to one another with psalms hymns and songs you know this is something this is something he teaches often evidently from the Spirit, singing and making music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is not naive. He knows that this isn't easy. But let me tell you, that's part of the point. That's part of the point. Part of the reason the corporate singing is transformative is because it challenges us to do something that's not just for us choosing to sing styles and subjects and songs that you don't like is part of what makes corporate singing transformative so if you don't like it good that's part of the point that's part of what makes it transformative and I'm, I'm trying not to be self-serving here because I'd love you to sing loud and all those sorts of things but it's not about that this is an invitation for a community to care for each other with our singing. Our singing is about the community. It is not about you, and it's not about me. This is his argument in Colossians. The richness of your singing is connected to the health and the richness of your church family. The richness of your personal singing is connected directly to the health and the richness of your church family and sometimes that means leaning in when it's not your favorite that happens on both sides of every argument right that may sound heavy, a little bit heavy-handed and a strong challenge, but please don't let it be a, a condemnation. If, if you tend to avoid this singing time in your worship experience, I challenge you maybe lean into that. Find a way to engage in that because it's about the health and the vibrancy of this entire church community. But please don't hear this as a condemning word. No, 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 no. This is an invitation to richness. This is an invitation to the good stuff. So in another letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, and I'll close with this, I'll invite the band to come up because we've got to sing a few more songs. Um, Paul wrote to one of his dear churches, he wrote this, for what is our hope? He's, he's picturing a future heaven a future new heavens and new earth in the presence of God. He says, what's our hope and our joy and what's our crown which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again? When Jesus comes again, what are we going to boast about? Another translation says. Isn't it you? Is it not you? He's talking to this church. Indeed, you are our glory and our boasting. Did you know that you have permission to boast and take pride in something in heaven. But you're allowed to boast in the fervency and the goodness of your neighbor's worship. You're allowed to boast in the beauty and the life that you poured into. Imagine with me, church, that we are become increasingly a church that sings in such a way that we sing an invitation to anyone that comes into this space to sing with us, to heal with us. Imagine we become the kind of church that sings not only for our own good, but for the good of everyone around us. And we well up all of our voices together to sing praises to God, and we transform. And that is a different kind of humanity. And that will shake this community up and break a cycle of any stagnation that may seep in a thing. If God is working your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your day.